Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would be open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll look at a few verses out of the first chapter or so in Colossians in just a moment. If you are visiting with us, we thank you for being with us. What a wonderful period of worship thus far and singing. It is wonderful to be together and to worship together. Uh, We are thankful for the ladies that worked diligently to make yesterday a great success in the Ladies Inspiration Day. And we're thankful for each one that participated in that and and gained in their uh, encouragement and spiritual knowledge. Also, uh, we want to remind you that there are the pamphlets of homecoming, of our history, and etc. And so if you missed that last week, they are in the Welcome Center. And and if you don't have one of those, pick one up and read through and and, uh, you'll gain, uh, hopefully, knowledge and appreciation for our forefathers and etc. Also, we want to tell you something that is, we think is very, very important, and we offer this announcement to you based on the importance of a particular item that we as Tennesseans are being asked to vote about in uh, November, November the 7th. And I want to read to you this section that will be on your ballot. And as I read this, I want to remind you that uh, millions of dollars are being spent in Tennessee right now, the, the number is $5 million is being spent promoting folks to vote no on this particular issue. And when I read it, I think if you are unaware of it, you're going to be surprised that uh, it's an opportunity for us and you're going to be glad that you know about it and you're going to want to do everything you can do to make sure that the correct answer is voted upon in this. The historical institution and legal contract solemnizing the relationship of one man and one woman shall be the only legally recognized marital contract in this state. Any policy or law or judicial interpretation purporting to define marriage as anything other than the historical institution and legal contract between one man and one woman is contrary to the public policy of this state and shall be void and unenforceable in Tennessee. If another state or foreign judiciary uh, issues a license for persons to marry, or if such license is prohibited in this state by the provisions of this section, then the marriage shall be void and unenforceable in this state. Folks, that's coming up for vote. Uh, That will be in November's election, and it will be a majority vote. And we have an opportunity to make a stand for something that goes all the way back to Genesis 2. And um, be sure to take your uh, privilege and your responsibility very seriously uh, to mark out a time to go to the polls on that day and cast a vote for God and for uh, our nation, for our state, uh, for our existence today, for our heritage that we will leave on to generations uh, to come. And again, I remind you, there is a serious and and a very uh, lucrative push being made uh, for that to be overturned. And we can't sit by and do nothing and be uh, glad of the results that will take place with this. Uh, We have a lot of 20-somethings, and so we're going to mention this, especially for you guys. Uh, Some of you younger ones may not be registered to vote. Jeff Fortner is going to be in the simulcast area. If there's anyone here that is not registered to vote, uh, pass through there. Pick up one of those. You have to register to vote a month ahead of the election. So you only have the beginning of this week. You have this week to register to vote. Uh, If anyone else has concerns about this topic and just wants to visit with it among fellow Christians and uh, to talk about what can be done 
And uh, he will be there and he'll be glad to talk with any of you about this particular item. It is a great concern. In the 2002 uh, election, only 43% of people that called themselves Christians voted. And if we continue on such rate and uh, we decline as a nation, we're going to have a hard time to say that it was anyone's fault except our own. And so let's make sure that uh, we stand up for God. We stand up for the Christian values and we live in a wonderful nation that's giving us an opportunity to vote on this. And let's not pass up that opportunity. Uh, Let's all be prayerful about this. Let's all speak a good word about this to others that would also have such concern. Uh, All it takes is a silent majority uh, for us to lose the very country that we love. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on this more. Just let me give you one or two sentences. If you don't think things like this could change, you just remember back the way it was 25 years ago, for those of you that are old enough. And the things that we're experiencing today, we would have said 25 years ago, would never be taking place in our communities. And uh, we have to make a stand. And it's time to not just say and accept that things are spiraling down. Let's do what we can do to stop things from spiraling down. And we know the answer to all this is God. We know the answer is Jesus. And uh, so let's do what we can do to make a stand in this particular opportunity. And then let's do what we can do to spread the good news of Jesus. Uh, There wouldn't be a Christian that would be opposed uh, to what we've just read. So the best thing we can do is evangelize. We're thinking about a very important topic tonight as we continue a lesson as we've looked at the first two-thirds of it. Someone's already said to me in the foyer, well, if we got the first two-thirds of it, tonight's lesson ought to be real short. It ought to be one-third. And so what we've done is we've looked at the beginning of the church, and we see the Old Testament and the prophecy that led up to it, how Isaiah and other prophets, Joel and several others, said it's coming, it's coming. It's not going to be in this dispensation of time, not in the Mosaic Age, and it didn't take place in the Patriarchal Age, but it's going to come in the latter days. And then Jesus He even said just before that last dispensation of time, he too said that it was coming. It wasn't while he was on the earth before his death, but then after his death, after his resurrection, then about 47 days later, we see that the church began in Acts the second chapter. And that was a very important date. And it's so important because of the fact that just as everything was looking to that date, and that date itself stands out being very significant, think with me on a timeline here. As we move down the timeline, everything about what we ought to be about should look back to that date. In other words, when we think about the when and the where and the how and etc., and, and we think about the day of Pentecost and Jerusalem and Jesus Christ being the founder, how did that affect? For example, when you have your Bible open to Acts the second chapter and everything beyond that, how does that affect everything beyond that? Let's look at a few passages tonight at a very, very simple concept, but a concept we'll study tonight that most people that are religious have really never stopped and either considered or they never bought into it. And I want to urge you tonight, if you're visiting with us, you'll probably hear something tonight that you've never heard before. I don't ask you to believe it or accept it because a group here uh, believes it or accepts it. I ask you to study God's Word and see if what is being taught tonight is the will of God. And if it is, let's all have that same motive and that same objective that we read about in the Scriptures with what those individuals did shortly after the day of Pentecost. Let's look in the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, we see that there was a church, of course, that started in Colossae. 
Notice, if you will, let's read 4, 5, and 6. And by the way, there will be slides tonight, but not the Scripture references. So I hope you have your Bible, and I hope you'll open up to the book of Colossians. It'll be about 1,045, I believe. 1,045 in your pew Bibles, if you need that. Let's drop down, and let's read what he says to them. In verse 3, he says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith. You see, Paul didn't... Uh, begin the church at Colossae. So he's writing, he says, We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now here's important phrases. Of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Now let's pause for just a moment here. How did they become Christians? They became Christians because something bore fruit. What was it that bore fruit? You see that very last few phrases of five again? It was the word of the truth of the gospel. Three times redundancy here to make a point. He's saying it came from the word. If you don't understand that, it came from the truth. If you don't understand that, it came from the gospel. What came from this? Previously, he called them saints. He calls them fruits of the gospel. In other words, if we take the seed of the word of God, that was planted on Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost and Christians grew out of that preaching and the church was established out of that preaching and we take that same seed, that same Word of God and we drop down a few years later and we plant it in Colossae, what grows? You plant a watermelon seed, what grows? Watermelon seed. But wait a minute. What if you plant that watermelon seed and it still has life in it but it's 100 years old? A watermelon still grows. What about if you plant it a thousand years later? Still life in it, a watermelon still grows. And so you see the idea here is what we're seeing is that everything looked back as we see evangelism taking place. We do not see the spread of denominationalism. We see that the seed was being planted. Let's look who planted this seed. Look at verse 7. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul writes and says you learned it from him. So from that, we're assuming not only did they learn things, but we're assuming he probably even established a church there. Paphras, what did you do? He says, I took and I planted the seed. That same seed that was planted in Acts 2, I planted it. I planted it. It grew Christians just like it did in Acts 2. It established the church that was established in Acts 2. Let's read about this. Look over, if you will, in verse 18. Still speaking to these same group of people. This is the kind of teaching that was planted there. Speaking of Jesus Christ, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Now this particular church that they were going to be a part of, who was the head of this church? Jesus Christ. You see, He didn't plant some kind of new church. He went back and planted that same church that was established the same seed, the same congregation. Because in 23, that was their only hope. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. By the way, just a point of interest, did you see there that the Great Commission has been fulfilled? A lot of people don't notice that when they read through Colossians. But this is one example of how we know by the time the Colossae church is being written to by Paul, the Great Commission has been fulfilled. Every creature on earth, by the time this is written, has had the opportunity to become a Christian. 
Every Christian, by the time this was written, had an opportunity to become a part of the Lord's church. That seed had been planted. Now, the people of Colossae, they accepted that seed. And they grew. What did they become? Now, notice there, in 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. Notice, it didn't say, and and, and just fill in any kind of name you want right here. It didn't say blank faith. If you continue in this, you'll become a part of, and name a denomination, you'll become a part of a blank faith. No. When we plant the Word of God, we become a part of the faith that produces Christians. A part of a church that belongs to the Lord. Man and man's doctrine and man's creeds and man's titles and etc. They're not involved in the planting of the seed of the Word of God. So when we think about the timeline, when individuals went out and taught and preached, what did they do? Everything looked back. To Acts 2, we want to be a part of that church. Let's see another example. If you will, go with me to uh, Ephesians. Let's see some examples in Ephesians. And I know, i tell you what, let's look to Acts 19 first. We're still going to talk about those in Ephesus. But let's see it first in Acts 19. Paul went into Ephesus in Acts the 18th, but he wasn't able to spend much time at that particular time. So he came back again in Acts the 19th chapter. And to save time, we could read the first 10 verses. But he begins teaching and preaching to them and skip down in verse 8. He went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. You see, you say, well, what was he trying to get these people to become a part of? It was simple. The kingdom of God. Not another religious organization or institution. It was that simple. For three months he pleaded with them to become a part of the kingdom of God. But, look in 9, when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard, now what did they hear? The word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So we see here what's being planted. What's being planted is the word of the Lord Jesus. And what he grows here is the Lord's church. It was the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now if you will, go over to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and let's just see one example of the message that he preached to them. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we'll read 4, 5, and 6. You know, I call these the hardest verses in all the Bible. Now, that's just my opinion. I don't mind if you say, oh, I know some other verses that are harder. I'm just saying, I don't think there's any verses in all the Bible more difficult than these verses. You see, one is an exclusive number. Seven times he says, I want to tell you some things, and there's only one of these. In other words, if we're going to be a part of the Lord's people, part of the Lord's church, we have to submit to the Lord in all seven of these things. There's no option. He doesn't say, now there's two over here and you just pick whichever one you like. On these seven things, God is saying, this is my way. You either accept these ones or you reject them. Well, what are they? Let's, let's look in verse 4. We're in Ephesians 4 and 4. This are, these are the things that he taught. These are the kind of seeds that he planted. He said there's one body. Now remember what we read just a few moments ago in Colossians 1 and 18. What is the body? Christ is the head. The body is, is the church, is his body. And so here we see there's one body and there's one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, talking about Jesus Christ. Notice this, there's only one faith. 
Now, we can go around and we can sit in the workplace at break time and we can have religious discussions and you will hear individuals mention the faith that they are. Oh, I'm a such and such faith. I'm a such and such faith. Well, there's not multiplicity of faiths in the New Testament and just take one, pick one. So we have a real problem if those are the seeds being sown. Because when the church was established at Ephesus, there was a seed planted. And that seed said, there's only one faith. And we can decide to either be a part of that one faith or no. But it's our choice. But we can't choose the other and then say, oh, I'm a part of that church that you read about in the New Testament. And that's always mind-boggling. But that is usually the explanation. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're part of the such and such church. What about the church in Utah? Oh, we're part of that one too. No? Now there's only one here. One body. There's only one faith. And then as we read on in verse 5, he says there's one baptism. And of course, there's a lot of baptisms being taught today uh, religiously, but there's only one that is a part of the New Testament teaching at this point. You remember this morning we mentioned the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You see, the reason that it's not mentioned here is it's been fulfilled. Remember, it took place in Acts 2 and Acts 10, and and it's been fulfilled. So by the time this is being written, there's only one baptism. It's the baptism into Christ for the remission of sins. And then we read about one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, when we see this, we see the message. We see that Paul went in and he planted that seed. As a matter of fact, he stayed with these guys for a couple of years and he was planting that seed of the seven ones. And what we read when we go down in the 16th verse of the 4th chapter, we read that the church was growing. We read that the body was growing. In other words, he wasn't growing some other kind of organization. He was growing the body of Christ. He was growing the church. And then when we read over in Revelations, the second chapter, before the Bible ends, you remember the seven churches of Asia? One of them was the church at Ephesus. And do you remember what one of the problems that they were having? They were losing a love for their first love. They needed to rekindle that fire. And so he spoke straightforward and boldly to them. Why? Because that was a part of the seed that had been sown. And when we start rejecting or pulling back from the Lord... We're creating something in our life that's not acceptable. So, think about the timeline again. Paul goes into Ephesus and he preaches. What seed does he plant and what is grown? He plants the Word of God. And that which grows is Christians that are part of the Lord's church. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's see this one more time. If you would go over to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians... And Paul went in and he preached in 1 Corinthians. We're in the second chapter. And notice what it says in verse 2. He talks about coming in to them in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, in verse 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, when you first went in, To Corinth, huge metropolitan area, very, very wicked place. What did you try to do? He said, I had one seed I planted. I planted the teachings of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, look back in the first chapter in verse 17 and notice how he says it. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. 
In other words, he says, I'm not looking for man's wisdom here. I'm looking for the power of God's teaching, the power of the cross. And he's saying here, that's what I planted. That's what I was striving to be. Now, let's ask the question, what's the result of this? What was established when Christ was preached and his way was preached? Go back, if you will, in verse 2 of the first chapter. See who he addresses this letter to. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And what grew out of that? It was the church that belongs to God. You see, that's all we want. We want to be a part of that church that belongs to God. How do you do that? You plant the Word of God and you don't add anything to it and you don't take anything away from it. And that's what grows from that. Now, you remember this morning we started out by saying that some will say that the church began back in the Old Testament and some in, in, in thinking about John the Baptist ministry. You know, there's some people that would say the church of Christ began back in the Restoration Movement. And that's something for us to think about that goes right along with what we're studying here. Did the church really begin back in the Restoration Movement in the late 17 or early 1800s? Or did individuals say, let's go back and plant that seed that we read about in the New Testament. And let's grow that church that was established in Acts 2 and let's just be a part of it. Let me give you a few examples. And friends, we're going to go through these few examples. Uh, it'll be so quickly that you can't say you've had a restoration lesson tonight, but hopefully we can say this. We see the idea behind their thinking as an example. I'm not saying because these individuals did it that, that that's the authority for you and I to do it. I'm simply saying let's, let's notice that what they did was very similar to what the apostles did when they went about. They simply wanted to go back to Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. Let's look at this example with James O'Kelly. James O'Kelly, in 1794, he left the Methodist church. And there's an interesting story about that. But he left the Methodist church. And here were the reasons, at least three of the reasons that he gave. He said he wanted to go back to where the Lord was the only head of the church. He was tired of associations acting as headship instead of the Lord being the head of the church. He wanted to be called a Christian instead of a name that was affiliated with a party or sectarian names. And he wanted the Bible to be his only creed, believing that it could be the significant rule of faith and practice. Do you see what he's doing here? He's saying, I don't want to be a part of something that's filled with man's doctrine. Man's creeds, man's philosophies. Now, this is a man that was a part of it. You've got to respect a guy that will say, you know, I've been looking at who I am, and I've been looking at the Scriptures. And I'm ready to just go back to the Scriptures and change me, instead of trying to change the Scriptures. Now, tonight, if I can't say that, I'm not really loyal to God. If I see something in the Scriptures tonight, am I willing to change my life? Or do I always look for ways to try to change the Scriptures? Let's look at another example. A few years later, Barton W. Stone, in 1804, he left the Springfield Presbytery. He wrote a last will and testament. It was dated in 1804. And 
Since my eyes are failing, let me get a larger print. He said, We will that this body die, be dissolved, and sink into union with the body of Christ at large. For there is but one body. Another excerpt. We will that our power of making laws for the government of the church and executing them by delegated authority forever cease. We will that people henceforth take the Bible as the only guide to heaven. Do you hear his pure plea? You see, his plea is, I can walk away from these secular names, this secular teaching, and I can take a seed of just the Word of God, and I can plant it in my life. And I can become what God wants me to do. And I can preach it and teach it to others. And we can become a part of the church that we read about in Acts 2. A beautiful thought. Let's look at another individual. Alexander Campbell in 1830 left the Baptist church. He left it because he wanted to be baptized for remission of sins. He left it because of the authority of men's creeds that were being taught in that denomination. And he left it because the church's association of power that he experienced while a part of it. Let me read to you a couple of quotes from his. He wrote a document called the Declaration and Address. And a part of it says... Nothing ought to be a part in the lives of Christians as articles of faith, nor required of them as terms of communion, but what is expressly taught and enjoined upon them in the Word of God. Nor ought anything be admitted as divine obligation in their church constitutions and managements, but what is expressly enjoined by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles upon the New Testament church, either in express terms or by proved precedent. Nothing ought to be received into the faith of worship of the church or made a term of communion among Christians that is not as old as the New Testament itself. Now this last slide, you're going to remember, we've seen it several times today. As you look to this last slide, the beginning of the Lord's church, Acts 2, day of Pentecost. How'd that church come about? Because Jesus was the founder and His and only His way was taught. And it took place in Jerusalem. Now again, I'm simply giving you this as examples. I'm not, I'm not esteeming these guys to the point of being apostles or any such like. But as you look at that slide, I want you to think about what Barton W. Stone, he was a part of a church that had began in 1536 in Switzerland, started by John Calvin, Presbyterian. And he decided he wanted to go back to something that was much older, that had its founding back with Jesus instead of a man. Alexander Campbell had been a part of a church that began in 1607 in Holland by John Smith. He decided he wanted to go back to something much older. To a seed that would go all the way back to Acts 2. And he left behind the man-made doctrines. Or James O'Kelly. He had been a part of something that started in 1739 in England by John Wesley. And he decided to leave that behind. 
Friends, you know that I study with individuals every week. On a regular basis, I see people decide to leave what they've been a part of because they've learned for the first time in their life you really can go back to Acts 2. You really can lay down man-made creeds, party names, etc. You really can have the seed unadulterated planted. Be a Christian only. Be a part of the Lord's church. Tonight, maybe the lessons today has stirred enough interest that has confused you. That's all right. It's a lot to digest at one time. I've seen individuals that it's taken weeks and months to digest. That's all right. I want to encourage you to continue digesting it. If you need help, uh, please let us know. If, if you want to just sit down and study and ask questions, I, I think you know. I, I don't have an approach of cramming anything down anyone's throat. I'd love to just sit down, or others here would love to just sit down and say, let's just look at the Bible. What's there? What's God want us to be? That's all that matters. Tonight, we're not extending an invitation that has been designed by this group of people. We're about to extend an invitation that's almost 2,000 years old. And we're not inviting you to become a part of something that's kind of new. We're inviting you tonight to become a part of a family that's been following the same things for years and years and has no plans of changing. But we know where our hope is. We know where our feet are. We know where we want to be, where we hope to be. If you'd like to join the family of God, if you'd like to be saved, Jesus would ask us to believe. John 3 and 16, John 8 and 24, to repent, Luke 13 and 3. To confess, Matthew 10, 31 32. He'd ask us to be baptized, Acts 2 and 38, and Romans 6 and 3, and Galatians 3 and 27, 1 Peter 3 and 21. So many passages. See, those are the teachings of the Lord. That's the seed. If you're not saved, won't you consider that tonight? Maybe you've been baptized and sin has separated you from God. James 5 and 16 teaches us to confess our faults one to another and pray ye one for another. That's the way home. No council sat down and came up with that. We're not asking to be a part of the such and such faith. It's the Lord's invitation. He can save. He wants you to be a part of His family. He wants to add you to His church. And we, as a part of the Lord's church... Just want to encourage you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.